This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Ages and Icons. I'm Mike Crisologo. And I'm Gina Bucci. Hey, Mike. I picked the worst time to take a sip of water there. Oh, no, we all have time <laughs> to wait for you to sip your, your water there. 20 minutes before we set up, and I didn't drink, and now here we go. Mike's the type of guy who drinks water out of a mug. Don't judge him. <laughs> Mugs are for coffee, Mike. They're for caffeine, buddy. We have an excellent interview that Mike did. Let me toot your horn for a sec, Mike. Oh. Did a great. You had a great chat with Aaron Davis. I wish I was there. It was... Uh, uh, last week here in Toronto, and uh, she's been doing the rounds for her new uh, book called, what's it called again? Morning, the Morning is Broken. The Morning is Broken. Morning spelt as in mourning, uh, uh, mourning the loss of a loved yeah, one. Yeah, Morning is Broken, yeah. M-O-U, M-O-U-R. Oh, yeah, spell morning. Remember I forgot <laughs> how to spell morning? Because <laughs> you can't see it, Gina has looked twice across the table to see how to spell morning. And it's upside down. I'm like, I can't read upside down. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, yeah. morning. Um, yeah, I mean, Gina's right. It, the The interview goes quite in depth, so we don't want to harp on it too much before we go into it. But for those who may not be as familiar with Erin Davis, uh, she is a long time. We're talking almost uh, 30 years or, or in and around 30 years mm-hmm. as, as a host um, on CHFI in Toronto and, and various other radio work throughout her career. Uh, very well-known morning host, uh, instantly recognizable voice. When you hear her, even if you don't necessarily at first realize that you know who she is, when you hear her voice, you may just instantly recognize her. Yeah, she re- retired in 2016 and mm-hmm. she moved out west. And this book, Morning is Broken, it sounds that it's going to be incredibly sad, but it really is an uplifting book about healing and, uh, as she says on the cover, reclaiming joy. Um, just some background. So Erin's uh, daughter, Lauren, I believe she was 24 years old. She was a radio host in her own right in Ottawa, uh, gave birth to, their son, to her son, Colin, in 2014. And on May 10th, 2015, uh, I think Colin was about eight months old, they were celebrating their first Mother's Day. Uh Lauren and her husband and Colin and then they put Colin to bed and you know Lauren went to bed and she just never woke up again she was I believe 24 years old and they don't really know exactly what it was other than it was some sort of catastrophic heart or or cardiac event that did it and so this book is Aaron Davis's discussion about learning of her her only child's death her daughter's death and just how what it was like coping with it and and moving on and to live your own life after dealing with the grief and just a couple of things jumped out at me number one Aaron Davis is so honest and open in this book there were times where I had to sort of close it and just sort of take a minute to myself it was so powerful and I don't have children uh, but it was just so powerful so I want to just also warn anybody who has had who has children or has experienced um the loss of, of someone like this in their life that perhaps it could bring back those memories. But I think it's a really important discussion because as we discussed in the interview, if people don't talk about this stuff, what it's like to lose a child and the feelings and the emotions and how to get through it, if we all just internalize it because we're so 
um, overwhelmed by the grief, then it, it never it's never put out in the open. People can't heal as fast. I think when you create a community where, like Erin has now, Erin Davis, where she has people who've lost children connecting with her and sharing their stories and sharing their stories, not just of the grief, but also of the hope and the, the moving forward with their lives. It's a really powerful thing. So um, just that's just a little bit of a just a background on it. Erin was in Jamaica the day that she found out her daughter had passed away. She was actually in a ballroom mm-hmm. with a bunch of listeners from CHFI doing a remote, I think, a week in Jamaica where they brought a bunch of winners down and they're going to celebrate and do a week from Jamaica. And so she was in the ballroom getting ready to go on air mm-hmm. when she got the call that her daughter had passed away. Did did she go on air? No, she did. Well, she. this is the fascinating thing. You read did it in the, the book. Did the show happen, though? We the... talk about it, yeah, because she sort of came, she stormed back into the ballroom yeah. in like a haze, just saying like, that's it, my daughter's dead, and I'm going on air. Like, you know, she didn't really know you what she You do talk doing. about that moment, yeah. but um, I, li- I, d- I just listened to the interview, and uh, I, I didn't, th- it wasn't clear if the show happened anyways, if her co-host did it or not. Yes, a show did happen, okay. but Erin uh, was not part of it. And right, it, right. It, her husband, Rob, is a was a producer on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, her partner at the time, which I believe was Mike Cooper, on the show, uh, her you know, co-host, right. uh, was very close with Lauren, with Lauren and, and the Davis family. So I mean, everybody was heartbroken. Yeah. Um, sure. So we discuss it, but there's a great quote, and I just want to leave people with this before we jump into the interview. Um, there's a great quote that uh, that uh, Aaron has in the book that uh, says, "Joy can be ours again, and although it will never feel as complete as it once did." It is our right to feel happiness. And I think that's the key to this story, to Aaron's story and to the book and just in general, is that while it is a sad story and the interview does contain moments where Aaron was, you know, very emotional. Um, I'd met her in a, in a hotel room down here in Toronto and it was just the two of us and we sat down with the recorder and, and we talked. She's incredibly candid, but you can't reclaim that joy without first... Uh, purging the grief and the sorrow. So we talk about a lot. We talk about how she did that. We talk about her um, encounters with her daughter after her daughter's passing, just different times they feel that her daughter was connecting uh, with them, that Lauren was connecting with herself and her husband, Rob. And um, and yeah, it's a very powerful interview. And I think that she's incredibly brave for just putting all of this out there like that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, this was one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. Erin, if you know her from the radio, is hilarious. So there's a lot of humor in it. Yeah, there is. There's really a lot. And when you consider the subject matter, you wouldn't expect that. There's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of humor in the book, too. Well, as someone myself who who mourned uh, the loss of a close family member, my brother, who was younger than me, and I saw my parents go through mourning every single day, uh, and they still do mourn. But um, and how intense that was. I mean, um, I was able to listen to this interview and I get a lot out of it. And um, it brought the the way she approaches her process of mourning. And it's different for everyone, as she discusses in length. But uh, I found to be incredibly uplifting. And I really related to a lot of what she was saying. And um, I'll talk a little bit about that when we get back from the interview. So first off, here's Mike's interview with Aaron Davis. This is such a powerful read. Thank you. In so many ways that are very difficult to get into in, a, in one interview. 
Um, so it's almost hard to know where to start. But I guess after reading it, I thought, well, if I had all this to say, mm-hmm. when would I know it's the right time to say it? Yeah. Which is, I guess, what was the first thing I wanted to ask you? Well, it all happened uh, through just, you know, whether you call them God winks or coincidence or serendipity, but I was doing a, a broadcast on City Line with Tracy Moore, and um, that was to coincide with my final broadcasting date on CHFI. We did the big goodbye show from Casa Loma, and it was mm-hmm. all quite magical. And then uh, and the City Line aired that day, but in the audience that day was Senior Vice President of Publishing for HarperCollins, Iris Tupholm. And she could have been anywhere with her sisters that day. They do this like once a month. They pick a thing. But they went to City Line, and uh, she emailed me a few days later and said, I think you've got a book in you. So that was in December of 2016. So we met. We talked. Uh, I went through all of these steps that I didn't even know existed of getting a literary agent and all of that. Mm-hmm. The wonderful Michael Levine. Uh, one of the producers have come from away. This guy is a true Renaissance man. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Right. So um, we got this thing rolling and then months went by and Iris said to me "Um, do you need a ghostwriter and I'm going to pause right now so Rob can go out the door (laughs) yes that's okay he's a producer right (laughs) oh my god 31 years I'm just saying Um, so yeah do you need a ghostwriter and I was like okay okay that's all I need just I'm going to start writing it so Rob and I hunkered down and uh, I would just sit in this you know, recliner chair looking out at the ocean and write and write and write and write. And then it's all editing from there. You just blurt everything out and then they they figure out what to use. Kind of like a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but how do, you, how do you know emotionally? Because I, I want to get into this later, how you mentioned in the book that writing the book brought you to almost the same low mm-hmm. as when you experienced the events. Mm-hmm. So how, do you, how did you know inside that this is the time to tell this story? I knew right away because um, I just... I had to I had to take a step that was going to be positive and might be able to to help other people because I started finding through my emails and my website and where people were reaching out to me and asking how do you cope mm-hmm. what should I do and I thought oh I'm not a grief counselor I would love to take the steps to learn how to do things professionally and properly right. all I could do was tell them what I had done and that's when I kind of figured, well, you know what? There's going to be some good that comes out of this hellish tragedy. And that's that people might be able to look at this and see that there's a chance for joy. Right. There's a chance to keep living. Yeah, absolutely. And start that dialogue. Yeah. Um, you have this great quote in the book um, that, I mean, not great in the sense that it was a terrible experience, but this really powerful quote mm-hmm. um, where you mentioned after you found out the news mm-hmm. uh, about your daughter's passing and you had turned to uh, your husband and said, this is who we are now. We are these people. We're the ones who've lost a child. Mm-hmm. And I found that fascinating because sometimes you hear about people who experience tragedy and um, on one hand, they don't want, I guess, depending on the circumstances, they don't want the tragedy to define them. Mm-hmm. Um, which sort of was sounded like what that quote was. It's like, well, this is going to define who we are now. Uh, on the other hand, this is not something you can just put behind you and pretend it never happened. Right. So I guess my question is, do you, is this is who we are now? We're the right. people who lost a child. Is that right. something that you try to just accept? Is that something that you try to say, no, that's not going to define us and try to transcend that? Is, that, um, is it something that's just a mix of both? 
I think that that is a good question, but I, I think that uh, it just defines you whether you want it or not. Right, I mean, yeah. when people think of Marie Osmond, they think of this multi-talented, many-decade c- career, but they also know that her son took his life. Right. They think of that. They think of Carol Burnett, you know, winning all of these marvelous awards and the uh, the special Emmy and stuff. And uh, yeah, she lost a daughter, and and you just you, it's just. Because people want to know something about those that they know a little bit about, you know what I mean? If you're in the public eye at all, uh, you tend to get labeled or there's that one thing somebody knows about you. Um, Ask Pee Wee Herman. Uh, But um, for me, we knew that this was going to be this was going to be something that defined us simply because Lauren was so well known to our audience. And um, and I wasn't going to sweep this under uh, a rug or try and go through it alone. So. Um, yeah, this is who we are now. This, it, 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 I, it just came to me as clear as day, and I remember where I was when I looked out at the, at the lush dawn in Jamaica and thought, everything has changed. Right. Everything has changed. All our dreams, all our hopes, uh, our memories obviously will never change, but they'll be defined differently. And so we knew that there had been just a seismic change in, in our lives from, you know, and going forward. Who knew if Rob and I were going to survive as a couple? Who yeah. knew what would happen if I would ever go back on the radio? Who knew what was going to become of her seven-month-old son and his grieving dad, you know? Right. So many things. And all of a sudden, you know, you get a shotgun blast of of what you don't want to be your reality right. and there it is and i mean you talk about the reality there, there's so many passages in this book that i mean i don't want to describe because i wouldn't do it justice um because they're really powerful and one of them is the fact that you were in jamaica mm. in a ballroom with all these listeners who'd want a contest to be there yeah. and you're doing a morning show or preparing to mm-hmm. when you find out about this news yes and so the you describe it in the book incredibly and, and people can read it but I mean, as a journalist, putting myself in that position, I can't imagine what that would be like. Um, I'm not a parent, so I can't even begin to imagine that aspect of it. But when you... But he has a great dad cardigan on, and I love it. (laughs) It's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, When you look back on days like that, though, now, with clarity, when you're writing the book, because in the book you mention how you, like, marched right back into the studio, and you're, like, Mm -hmm. in your head, you're like, I'm going to just do the show, and how you just blurt it out to your producer that... that Yeah, well, Lauren's dead. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I said to him. So when you look back on it now with, with your eyes today and your mind today, what do you think about... Your reaction. I don't even know if I would do anything differently. I mean, obviously, I had to go back in there and say some kind of a goodbye to people um, because they were our guests. And then there was that moment, as you point out, that I said, "Well, I'm just going to sit down and do the show." Because, of course, the shock is so immense. And and as long as you're in your place where life makes sense, then nothing else happened, right? It didn't happen. That visit to the lobby with my husband didn't happen, where we got the phone call. So. And, and what were we to do with all these people sitting there? What were we to do with the Toronto radio audience waking up with us at 6 a.m., which we were about to start? Um, I don't know if I would do anything differently because uh, it's just I had to go back in there and, and then just gather stuff up. And I have heard from some of the listeners who were in the audience that I was going to delve into that a little bit, like what was the reaction in the room, but I didn't pursue that, and I, I guess I could have, but um, I, I just... It, it was just such the the shock was so tremendous right. that you go to what gives you some sort of steady ground, and that for me has always been radio, and it turned out to be that way again. 
it makes so much sense and I, I remember thinking too like what can you do like what, what would anybody do and, right. and that's it. whether you're ready to go on live radio whether you're sitting in your house reading a book like what would anybody do in, in any scenario you yeah. can't you don't know what you would do no um, another fascinating part of the book is when you talk about different interactions that you or your husband have had with uh, your daughter since her passing mm -hmm. and uh, just little moments things that you felt were her connecting with you in a certain way um, do those help you with the with the grieving process Cause I know you mentioned about being sometimes people are skeptics or oh, not. Yeah. but yeah. How, how have those moments helped you with the the process of getting moving forward well there's a there's a certain suspension of disbelief that that uh, you can you can indulge in if you want and I say as long as no one is being harmed um, then there is no harm in it whether it's me finding dimes and knowing that it was Lauren or you know a little hummingbird sticker appeared out of nowhere the other day when I was having just the worst travel day at airports and hotels and stuff and then I looked down and there's this little hummingbird sticker and if you see the cop or the cover of the book it's got a hummingbird on it because of one that we believe appeared to us with a message from Lauren on the third anniversary of her death and that's why the hummingbirds on the cover but just little things like that you can choose to say hi Lou you know hello mm -hmm. Lauren and uh, and and know that she's with us now there is the there is the, the matter of visiting with psychics and I had always done this anyway and I took it with a grain of salt and there were people who helped me and people who did not but uh, when we went to the extremely amazing place of Sedona Arizona where it's just four Texas or four if you prefer everywhere and um, and and this medium who was going to do a crossing over ceremony with us and she was like something right out of the Jersey Housewives and she was so amazing and she was laughing 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 because she said your daughter is so funny and was telling us stuff that Lauren was saying and then there was another one a bereaved mom herself who helped families connect with uh, with their lost children and just she just brought up all of these different people who were there with her in this you know this picture that she was seeing and there was just no making that up so Eventually, I, I you know sort of tapered that off, and I talked to one lady every now and then, and she's she's become a wonderful friend. But um, it it did help us. And again, as I said, there are charlatans out there. There are people who will take your money and anything they can from you. But if you find someone who gives you comfort, who is not taking you for a ride, and and you are careful, um, I think if it gives you if it gives you peace, then what is the harm in peace? Yeah. You know, I believe in it anyway. No, I agree with you. After my grandfather died, my uh, psychic told my grandmother that all the time she finds those, uh, the soup cans and all the cans in her pantry turned with the label facing away from her so that the, the little UPC code is facing her. She hates that. She's, That's him joking around with you. And, you know, this is the sort of thing that she would never mention to anybody or sure. let them know that, yeah, I, I know I put them in the right way, but for some reason they're always wrong. Yeah. So I, I completely understand how there's those little things that, you just it didn't give her a lot of comfort too. Yeah, that's a nudge. Yeah, um, and and I didn't think of this, but I guess when you have uh, something like this happen, and other people have something like this happen, and you're in the public eye, mm -hmm. you sort of seem to become I don't want to say uh, the the face of it, but but you your you become like the how you respond mm -hmm. kind of becomes like judged I guess by oh yes by everybody as like oh is she responding correctly yes and, and one of the things you mentioned in the book was that when you returned to radio mm -hmm. and you were sort of laughing and joking doing what you do yeah people felt that maybe you healed too quickly yes there was one person who said you're doing a disservice 
to those who are also grieving because they're looking at you and saying, how can she get up and do this every right. day when I can't get out of bed? And I respect that and I understand that. But it was just, I just had to, like I'm working with my best friends and, you know, Mike Cooper and Ian MacArthur and Gordon Rennie and, and, and Steve Roberts. And we were just so lucky to have that cocoon of safety and, and just the soft place to fall, as Dr. Yeah. Phil calls it, right? So... Um, in that way, I provided inadvertently proof of life. And it's not to say, oh, you've got to do it this way. And this book certainly is not that at all. You know, for people who can't get out of bed, there are counseling services, there's bereavement, there's hospice. Just talk to somebody yeah. because there are so many ways. There are as many ways to heal as there are to be aggrieved. And, you know, just just talk to somebody. And I had a chance to talk to everybody. So how lucky was yeah. I? And what did you learn about the grieving process, sort of, by seeing how you went through it and then hearing from all these other people and whether they thought you were healing too fast or mm -hmm. not? I learned that no one grieves the same. It's, uh, it's, it's just, it's so unique and every experience is unique and don't let anybody tell you how you should be grieving. There's this one woman who I quote in the, in the book and she was so wonderful to let me use a blog post. Please pardon me while I grieve. Laura Abruzzese. And she was getting heat from people when she posted to Facebook that her husband had been gone a year and she was crying as she packed away his clothes and smelling and holding on to that one shirt that smelled like him and the things that made the connection and people were saying, um, shouldn't you be moving on or this is too sad, I don't want to read it or, you know, it's been a year, it's time and it was just like, back off. If I want to share this, I'm going to share it. How you receive it is entirely up to you. Um, I tried not to do that on the air to be, you know, always about grief or sadness right. or whatever, but I would say her name and we'd talk because people expected that, mm -hmm. I think, because they knew me, they knew her, they knew our family and they knew our story, bless them. So that's what I learned about grieving is that you don't dare judge anybody else's grief unless you see that there's something going terribly wrong, then you, you hopefully make steps to get them some help, especially if they're going through what's called complicated grieving. Because there is the there is the test that you can take, and you think, okay, I'm doing all right, that's good. But if you know someone who is going through this, um, and they're just not, then get them help before right. they they do themselves harm. And what was the balance like for you as a, as a, a radio host, as as an entertainer, to sort of be able to be true to your feelings, and as you said, share them mm -hmm. with people who may have similar experiences, but also. Be mindful of, oh, I'm hosting a show. So. Well, yeah, I got to wake yeah. you up in a good mood, yeah, right? Exactly. And that's always been the thing. The show is first. Um, you know, no matter what you're going through, and the important thing is getting that person out of bed with a smile on their face and, and, you know, just a positive thought, no matter what awful things they're going through in their lives, whether they woke up next to somebody they despise or they're going to the job that they hate or anything else. <laughs> my job has always been to make sure that they know that their world is safe, that everything's going to be okay, and here's a smile. So... I kept that at the forefront, and fortunately, I had the best dance partner you could possibly have, Mike Cooper, and I just had dinner with him last night, and we laugh, and we cry, and he, he lost his wife in October, his wife of nearly 50 years, so we walk a path that's similar and speak the same language. You know, grieving people have a, have a language that is almost all their own, and sometimes you don't say anything, sometimes the humor goes so dark, and, and it has to, because you have to survive, so I credit so much of, of being able to, to recover on air to my partner and the show and the radio station that gave me all the time I needed to grieve and, and, and to heal and come back or not come back. Right. So I was so lucky. 
And tell me a little bit about writing the book and sort of returning to that place. Did you, you know, did you expect to return to those lows? Yes. I, I don't know because I hadn't been there. In some cases, I hadn't been there to begin with because of that wonderful uh, cloak of shock that, yeah. that just saves you for the first few months or for some people longer. Um, and then I had to ask my husband, I said, well, what was the call? What did I do in the lobby when you told me what, you know, because I had no, I had no recollection because mm -hmm. in some ways you hover above and watch it happen to somebody else. You go, Oh, this ain't good. Right. But, uh, on the other hand, I mean, I just, it's like a part of my brain switched off and went, well, this can't be happening. Mm -hmm. This just is not happening. So it, I, I may have lost the track of the, the answer there. Where were we? Uh, see, just talking about it, yeah. yeah, you're asking about going back. You just go, oh, wait. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was difficult because I hadn't, in some cases, I hadn't been there. And in other cases, it's not anything you want to go back and revisit. Right. But especially, you know, talking about the, the visit with Lauren when she was in her, her little plywood casket before, before her cremation and stuff and, and that sort of thing. But, it, you know, it was all part of the story yeah. that, that, that I felt deserve to be told, you know, because I would want to know, I would want to know what happens, uh, in those steps between getting the phone call and hearing from the coroner mm -hmm. and then the, the cremation. So here you go here, here's what happened. And I've always tried to be cognizant of the line between per, um, public and no, I'm, I'm trying personal and private. Personal is telling your story. Private is is telling you know. Personal is saying you have to go to the hospital. Private is telling where the infection was. Right. You know what I mean. <laughs> so you know, always always keep that invisible line in mind. And and I tried to do that with the book as well. Yeah, your uh, the detail you went into some of those, like you just mentioned, the, the wooden box and mm -hmm. stuff like that's stuff I've never heard before. It was really, I mean, to read it as someone like myself on the outside of this, reading yeah. about it, it's a really interesting perspective. How did it affect you? Was it too much, do you think? Uh, that specific scene, I, I see, I remember I was sitting at my desk at work when I read that. Yeah, like the and, crease along her forehead from having yeah, I, the autopsy. It did make me stop. I stopped reading it for a moment because just the thought of, I can't imagine, I guess we all have people in our lives that we can't imagine being without. Right. And for some people, it's, it might be their children or a spouse or whoever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think of the people who I love most in my life. Yeah. And you know, you can't help but think that when you read something like this. Mm -hmm. So it did take me back and it did make my eyes well up a little bit just because I, I was thinking if I was Aaron, I, I don't know what, maybe I would have just chained myself to the box. I would have yeah. like locked the door from the inside and like kicked yeah. everybody else and say like, I'm not leaving. Like, this is it. Like I'm going with her. Like, I don't yeah. know yeah. what I would do, but it, I've never had that real experience listening to some reading somebody else's story where it kind of hits you there. Yeah. And and I had just finished reading the book about Abraham Lincoln going into his son's crypt uh at night and and holding his dead body and you really go, "Yep, I see that." Because you know other people probably went, "Oh, he lost it there, didn't he?" But you know, you would do yeah. that. You would do that. I don't think you can say what you would do. Then again, yeah, the right? the, like, the judgment of grieving just just suspended. I don't suspended. know what I would do, but Yeah. I I can't imagine. I think that stuff like that is so wonderful to talk about personally because I feel like perhaps some people would feel so alone in that sort of situation. Right. Nobody's ever been this sad before. Nobody knows what this feels like. So to know that somebody does, mm -hmm. 
you know, perhaps, or maybe they haven't experienced it now, but if they do in the future, God forbid, and they remember, yeah. hey, I'm not the only one who's ever had to do this. Right, yes. And you can get out of this room and yeah. move forward. Yeah. I think uh, it's important. I think, of, I think of the parents in Saskatchewan all losing those wonderfully talented and promising you know, children uh, in the in the bus crash, and I think of every time I hear of someone losing a child, and I mention Heather Heyer in the book, and and you know, um, being mowed down at a at a anti racism march, and you just can't help thinking, and then every time that there's an anniversary for you know Marjorie Stoneman, in in yeah, yeah there's that, and of course the the children in Connecticut, and it's just oh God, and you you will find. Grieving brings such empathy. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it kicks open a door that... And it came partly from the meditation classes we took, too, where everybody would just kind of sit around and share what was kind of going on. And we were the only aggrieved parents at the time. But everybody had something that was mm -hmm. heavy on their heart. And one of the lessons that we learned was the lesson of empathy. Like, when you get cut off in traffic, and maybe you're in traffic listening to this right now, you think, oh, you idiot, you know, why did you do that? Why did you cross over or you didn't merge or whatever? Just think that that person could be on the way to the hospital to see their wife for the last time. They've just gotten the call mm. and they have to get there. And so that's kind of what, whenever we're cut off or anything happens like that in traffic, Rob will say, well, maybe he's going to see his wife. And, and it just, it just gives you, it gives you vast amounts of empathy and understanding and, and, and peace really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm happy you mentioned that because when you were mentioning the, the children in Saskatchewan and stuff, I was thinking even, I don't, I don't know if you were in Toronto uh, when it happened, but there was recently an Amber Alert oh, a yes. week or God, so ago yes. and, and people were complaining that it woke them up in the oh, middle of I the know. night. Oh my and, gosh. And, you know, perhaps hearing stories like yours, though it's not the same thing, but understanding what a parent can go through. Oh my gosh. That I, breeds that empathy and maybe next time the person who reads a book like yours doesn't get upset when that right. alert wakes them up in the middle of the Oh, night. and that poor Syrian mother in Halifax, seven right. children and just, oh, oh, and the father too. The last I heard he was in critical. But yeah, you just, it, it's so it's so crazy. We all live in these little pockets of ourselves and, and you, you sometimes have to be shaken to say there are other people out there and a lot of them are suffering and you look at people differently you do you sit on the subway and you go what's happening right now in your life Amanda Marshall has a line everybody's got a story that'll break your heart and it is so true it's true yeah. and if you find what that story is or even imagine it it just allows you to be so much more compassionate toward other people. Yeah, absolutely. I was also wondering what role humor played oh, in helping you. Everything. This. Yeah, because everything. When you read the book. There's a, there. It's humorous and <laughs> very appropriate, obviously. But I mean, it's not quite you know maybe what you would expect going in that there's going to be some jokes in there. And oh, stuff. thank God there are because but, I don't want people to be course, yeah, you know yeah. reading a tear-stained <laughs> book like Steve Martin reading the the uh, letter in the bathtub in the jerk. You know, it's just oh, it's all. Blah, no, um, humor is everything. It's always been my go-to. It's my family's, like when we were unplugging my mom in the hospital, and uh, to this day, I'm sorry I needed to charge my phone that badly, but anyway, no, she'd love that. <laughs> mom had a great sense of humor. Dad still does. But uh, even, you know, saying goodbye to my mom, it was like every time I touched her arm, her heart rate would go back up, back up, back up, even after she'd been unplugged. And I said, well, Ma, you know how hospital parking is. We've got to get out of here. <laughs> and, and, you know, you have to. You have to laugh or this life would yeah. kill you. 
And Lauren had an amazing sense of humor. Like she teased me mercilessly. In fact, the last line of the book, and I won't give it away, is is one of her punchlines. And it's just like, yeah, she totally would have done that. So it, it was just one of the one of the things. And we taught her early. Like she was two or three, probably. She was articulate, very young. And uh, and she would get mad when we when we joke or make fun, and I'd say, Lauren, you better develop a sense of humor. And she had a great joke. Can I tell you a quick joke Absolutely. that was her favorite? It was the earliest one she ever told. Okay, this guy, much like you, walks into a bar and he sits down and he hears this little voice, "Nice shirt," and he looks around, can't figure out who said "nice shirt," and uh, then he just continues having his drink and, and and snacks, and and then he hears "nice tie." And he's still looking around and he can't understand it. And and then, nice haircut. And finally he's had enough. He thinks, okay, there's something in this drink. And he says to the bartender, what on earth is this? I keep hearing these these things. Nice shirt, nice tie, nice hair. And then the, the bartender says, and join in if you know it, it's the peanuts. They're complimentary. So <laughs> she always thought that was such a great joke because talking peanuts and and the, the pun on complimentary, yeah. right? So it was that was her first and favorite joke. And uh, yeah, she still loved it. And we'll teach it to her son too. <laughs> Do you get a sense of how she was feel about the book and, and I think I think there's a lot of people who say Lauren's very proud of you and and, and I'm not talking psychics I'm talking about people who sure. just care about us but uh, I think she would be distinctly of two minds she'd be she'd be a mother uh, in in the way that I was turning the spotlight onto her and she although she lived a public life and did radio in Ottawa um, she didn't ha- she didn't seek out the limelight the way that I did or the spotlight but on the other hand I do believe that the message I'm getting from her is that, you know, it's not about you, it's about them. And if there's something we can do to help, to help other people who are going through this, then that's just what we're going to do. And I'm going to have to, and I had a talk with, with her today. I was walking along the sidewalk on the way to a TV interview. I said, okay, Lauren, give me the right words. Help me to get the message across. And, you know, and some people would say that to God. Or some people would say it to themselves or whatever. But I choose to to just say, okay, Lou, I need you. And uh, sometimes I'll say that when I'm looking for something Hmm. or, um, you know, whatever. And it's probably a little insane, but I don't care. I like to I like to think that she's here either making fun of me or uh, or, you know, helping me out. But probably a little more of the former than the latter. (laughs) Um, Just lastly about the book. Because I wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself as well, but um, you have this really beautiful quote um, that I think can apply to anybody who's experienced tragedy, where you mentioned that joy can be ours again, and although it will never feel as complete as it once did, it's our right to feel happiness. Um, And so what tools have you learned, or or tricks, or coping mechanisms have you learned Mm -hmm. for like, for allowing yourself to say it's time to be happy again or try to be happy, go on that journey. Mm-hmm. Saying yes to things, yeah. uh, I think, is a big thing, even when you don't really want to. Sometimes merely the act of putting a smile on can make you feel happier, as they will tell you in yoga or meditation. Just sit there, put a little smile on. And they say that it helps you to, to you know, trick the brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kind of like when I put on eyelashes, I feel glamorous. <laughs> Um, and a little bit, you know, draggy, but, um, just, just embracing the possibilities, not saying no to things. Um, 
not caring if people judge that you're dressing in bright colors too soon or that right. you're, you're, you know, what are they doing laughing? Um, because there are so many, especially among different cultures, there are so many steps you're supposed to follow, whether it was the year of wearing black or tearing your clothes or whatever, whatever you've been raised to believe that grieving is supposed to be. But I just say, you know what, and it's, it's the same with our son-in-law, Phil. He fell in love with a woman very shortly after Lauren died, and we were not going to judge him for that. Right. He said yes to the possibility of love again and for someone who would care for his son, and it has worked out beautifully, and we couldn't be happier for both of them. And Brooke and I and Rob have forged a really nice relationship. So we're, it's just because we said yes, because if we said no to that, if we said, what are you doing taking another wife yeah. rather than being a part of it all and supporting them, who does that help? Who does it help? It only hurts us. It only causes anger for us. And it, it, it just locks us in the quicksand of the grief. And we think, what would Lauren want? She would want what's best for her son. And if that's our mantra, if that's our guide moving forward, we could do worse. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned your grandson, Colin. Mm -hmm. and how old is Colin now? Four and a half. Four and a half. So how is Colin Oh, he's doing? great. Yeah. I mean, ask any grandparent how their grandchild yeah. is. He's fantastic. <laughs> uh, he is. He's, he can spell his whole name and his last name has like four syllables. So he, he's, uh, he's bright. He's funny. He's musical. He looks very much like Lauren in some pictures, and I don't see it the way other people do, but maybe I don't want to. I don't know. But, uh, um, he's, just, he's just everything everything that Lauren would have wanted. Yeah. And, you know, Phil and Brooke later on have done just a marvelous job of raising this little man who's going to be, hopefully, he's going to make a, make a good difference in the world. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. Mm, thank you. What, what, what do you love most about being a grandparent? Oh, Oh, everything about this boy. Uh, we're his grandma and granddad banana. I'm grandma banana and Rob is granddad banana. <laughs> Why banana? Ah, because it rhymes. And Grand Marnier just didn't sound right. <laughs> Grand Marnier. Um, I just, I don't know. I just wanted it something to be, to be something fun because he's got a lot of grandparents because of, you know, Phil's parents and remarrying and that sort of thing. Um, we just wanted something that kind of stood out and, and banana. We're nuts. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be fun and like everybody else is and, and just and have fun with it you yeah. know we just we just adore this boy just adore him we're so grateful for the gift that Lauren left us yeah yeah um, you mentioned in the book you talk about how uh, you stepped away from radio and, and when mm -hmm. you retired finally mm -hmm. uh, after was it all, it wasn't quite 30 years it was just about 30 years right something like 20 just about years, yeah. Right? yeah I started there in 88 and uh, left at the end of of 16 right yeah right. and so and obviously most people who hear this will know you from radio and will recognize your voice instantly <laughs> um, but you talk about in the book and again I don't want to, to spoil it for everybody but you're that's a whole other set of struggles uh, when you left oh, radio yeah. yes and, and a, a lot of other personal uh, things that you yep. had to deal with yeah yeah it was um, all of us Rob and I looked around and said everybody is is moving ahead but us everybody gets to move on with their lives but us uh, Phil was you know in a new relationship my partner Mike had left radio because he wanted to spend time with his wife while she was ill and uh, and just and and you know I had a new partner but it, you know nothing is the same as the the love of your life in terms of um, my partner Mike and just Everybody had moved on but us, and we thought, you know what, we deserve this change. Mm -hmm. I was born in Alberta. Uh, the West has always had a great call for us both. 
Um, and I loved what Toronto gave me. I love everything that, that this life here afforded us, but we knew that it was time for a change of scenery and to shift our minds a little bit and just to focus on us. Mm -hmm. um, and because we would always be probably approached by people who knew that little one thing about us, right? And, and you know, I'm so sorry about your daughter and thank you. I appreciate that very much. And then just on we go. You know, and it, it's not like I ever, ever minded being, you know, consoled by people. It's it's great honor and, and a gift that we were able to, to have that. But it was just time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really. I miss radio. I miss it a lot. You can tell by how much I'm not shutting up. <laughs> no, well, I wanted to ask you because you mentioned in the book how much your listeners helped you and also how much of a comfort zone it was mm -hmm. to be on the air. And obviously the struggles that you had when you left. Mm -hmm. um, so have, since then, have you been able to make that transition and find other areas of your life that give you the comfort that radio gave you? In a lot of ways, writing my daily blog, which gets about 2,500 readers a day, wow. has been, yeah, it's been incredible. I started that in 2003, so that's like 15 going on 16 years ago, every day. Wow. Like it started with 30 readers and my husband said, why are you spending an hour on this a day? But I'm so glad because, you know, it allowed me to, and just to have a place to s tell stupid stories, like things that happened traveling and sitting in the wrong row and, and going to the shuttle to the wrong hotel. And yes, I did all these things last week. <laughs> this is what happens when they let me out alone. Um, just having a place to share that. And then uh, on my public Facebook page where I link the journal, people will tell their stories or they'll ask me questions or they'll know how to reach me. So this has been... This has been a lifesaver in its way, too, because yeah. it allowed me to stay in touch with all of these people who have meant so much to me over the years. And they really, truly have. The ones I haven't met, but that we know each other. And it's just, oh, it's such an honor. It's That's been wonderful. such an honor. That's really good, especially in the age of social media, that you can leave a public platform but still connect with the public yeah that's a wonderful it sure has been you know for all of its ugh, pains and stuff and don't read the comments um <laughs> i do i do on facebook because it's my safe place because it's my Facebook sure, page. of course yeah but uh i just i'm just grateful for for that connection yeah. and now i'm getting to meet these people on the book tour so oh, that's wonderful it is it I really is you have quite an extensive book tour yeah it is it's it's we're we're hitting up it, not as many places geographically as i'd like but i'm hoping that you know this thing isn't going to be over because i want to keep doing public speaking and and uh traveling and doing my usual emceeing and stuff too so hopefully it'll it'll take on a life of its yeah. own i'm going to also be working with lighthouse which is a charity that they they connected with me and it's support for bereaved children and their families oh. yeah because I mean here was Rob my husband at nine years old and his mother died and he, he didn't he wasn't allowed to go to the funeral they didn't talk about what happened to her and here and he had a stepmom within a year because you know his father needed somebody to, to feed and take care of this child but you know there has to be a place for children to express their grief because their their mother or father who's ever left behind when a parent dies they're going through all of their own yeah. struggles. So it's a, it's a wonderful idea, and I'm learning more about it, and I'm looking forward to helping to be a spokesperson for this. Wow. So, I mean, obviously a lot of our listeners are retired or thinking about retiring. Yeah, I call so, it rewiring. Perfect. Right? Well, yeah, because it doesn't mean you don't just stop. And, Hell no. And, yeah. Oh, so, no, you're busier than you ever thought you'd be. I want to tell you that. Okay, well, this is what I want you to tell us. Sure. What, what you've learned about, uh, like, what tips you can offer for a great, healthy, vibrant, fun retirement. Have structure. 
have structure because otherwise you go, well, I can stay up until 1 a.m. and, and uh, you know, have all the vodka martinis that, that I want, but it will kill you. It'll take the, it'll take, it'll take your life. Um, have structure, have projects, have friends, have social networks, join something like Rotary International, which Rob and I are members of. Um, you know, make yourself useful. You can't go from 60 to zero and expect that your life is still going to be fulfilling. Sleep is wonderful. Having time to do things and be with your grandchildren and golf or do whatever interests you is fantastic, but have things to do. You can't just sit there and your spouse quite likely doesn't want you there 24 seven. It's like (laughs) they say retirement, you get them uh, double the, double the husband and half the money is what the old saying was. (laughs) Of course, in our case, it was, it was uh, the polar opposite. Rob had always been the stay at home dad. So, uh, yeah, he kind of like, okay, when do I get time for me again? Because it used to be those four hours you were on the radio. Yeah. And he always knew where I was because he could turn the radio on. Yeah. So, half structure would be my best advice. Yeah. That's what everybody says that you got to keep moving. Yeah. Find something that you love to do, whatever yeah. it is, and just keep doing it. Yeah. And do things for other people. Make yourself useful. Now, I mean, when you look at your resume, and everybody knows you as a radio host, but I mean, you, they also might know you as a singer. <laughs> um, they might know you as uh, one of the performers in a Ross Petty panto. Yeah, fairy godmother, I'll have you know. Right, and and just all these other things you've done, like you mentioned an MC and, and doing voiceover work and all yeah. this sort of stuff. So, I mean, are there, are there other professional goals that you have that you'd still love to accomplish? If, sure, if I want to be the world's first 56-year-old uh, uh, TV ingenue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I loved I loved hosting television. I did a year live, or W Live on the W Network uh, for one season. Unfortunately, it wasn't picked up, but it was before social media when we could have said, come on, Winnipeg, watch this. Yeah. We need to save the show. Um. But yeah, like Rob says, yeah, maybe now you're going to get that TV gig you always wanted. Yeah, you joke, but I might. I mean, look at Jan Arden starting a TV show this year. I'm so proud of her. Absolutely. She's amazing. She totally is. And she so deserves all of this. And she wrote the foreword for the book, which was just amazing. So yeah, I don't know if I'll have another book in me because this is just a memoir. And and what else am I going to do, right? I I told Rob, something awful has got to happen to you if I'm going to write another book. So look at Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I don't know. All I know is that I'm just trying not to eliminate anything. Yeah. You know? It's funny because a lot of time when I ask that question to people, they are in their seventies or eighties or nineties, and and like you, you're like you mentioned fifty six, so mm-hmm. and like there's so much ahead still. Yeah. I didn't have to leave. I didn't have to yeah, leave radio. I could have been, you know, like I thought I'm going to be the one instead of all the men who practically die at the microphone. I'm going to be the one that's still there. <laughs> but uh, no, it's going to be up to my friend Marilyn Dennis to yeah. carry that. She well, gets to do it. <laughs> she gets to do it. More power to her. There's and, some, something that you said for going out on top too, right? Oh, for like sure. Seinfeld. You know, he could yeah. have kept going for another five years, ten yeah. years. But. Oh, I was so lucky. Just the the whole ride as rob and i will often say except that one thing you know yes. um and and we do that's how we always kind of jokingly and darkly remind ourselves that you know oh this is just so wonderful this has been great except for that one yeah. thing and not to boil lauren down or diminish her to one of thing but not. you know what you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's sort of right there yeah. but yeah so it's i'm like i said I'm, i'll never say no to anything and i well of course 
a few things. Um, <laughs> nobody needs a 56-year-old pole dancer. Uh, but my tassels are down here. So we'll see what happens. Um, by the time everybody hears this, Morning is Broken will be available everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, can I tell you, I didn't before I knew that you wrote this, when I just originally got the original email, that I just saw the title of the book. I didn't know who wrote it, what it was about, but that is a great title. Thank you. Did you, was that you? Yes. Um, I, I kind of had to sell them on a little bit. HarperCollins has great ideas and, and wonderful people. They weren't sure about the you in morning. And I said, no, it has to be there. And it may screw people up on an, on an internet search or something, but hopefully they'll find it because for one thing, all the mornings that I did, uh, for one, another, the, the Cat Stevens song, Yosef Islam's song, uh, Morning is Broken, of course, which is so beautiful. And just the absolute truth of the meaning, the, the morning that the sadness has broken. Yeah. And it just, it just, it was so multifaceted in its, in, in its uh, appropriateness that mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't say no to it. And, uh, there are other books by that title with the same spelling I have found. So oh. <laughs> yes, but hopefully people know who they're looking oh, for right. when they're looking for the book. What? Otherwise, the next person down is getting some nice sales. <laughs> Not like Fire and Fury, though. You remember that? Yes. <laughs> the Canadian historian from the U of T who got all of these bumps because of the Trump book. That was awesome. <laughs> the people who got those books, man. Where the hell is all the Trump stuff? Uh, yeah, this is World War II. I'm pretty sure he never served <laughs> at all. Yeah, no, I love... Uh, that's exactly like I said. Before I knew it was you who wrote it or what it was about, mm. it, it did evoke that, like, Thank oh, you. something horrible has happened, yeah. but this is the person's story of getting past it. Yeah. Which is, I think, the key here. It's, I hope so. It's about getting past it, not just experiencing yeah. the bad parts. Because this isn't just my story. It's It's got the story of other mothers uh, who lost their children to, you know, um, you know, just the, 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 the saddest, in the saddest ways. And uh, the only thing I regret, and my husband says, well, you didn't try to cover everything, was I didn't talk to someone who lived with a child who'd been ill for years. Mm. And if I was to write a, a, another version of this book, I would talk to someone who, you know, who, who lived with a child with chronic illness because that, that has to be a completely different set of parameters. Yeah. Again, no grief being the same, but there are a lot of different stories in it and hopefully different ways that people can move through grief as well. Right, and then that's what I wanted to just uh, close with, uh, asking what your hope is for people who pick up Morning is Broken. Thank you for asking. I hope that they do see that there is light. There's always the opportunity for joy and for hope and and for a future even if you don't think there's going to be one like in talking with my former partner Mike Cooper he said you know I cry every day and Rob said there will come a time when you cry every second day and then it'll be every third or fourth day and then there will come a day at the end of the day you go you know what I didn't cry and I haven't cried for days and there there's just the most marvelous ways that that you know nature has set us up to try and heal and there are many people who have it worse than us and many people who have had and and my heart goes out to every one of them but my message is that there is always hope and hopefully this book will either give you the tools to help you to get through this or just at least just to know if if there is that promise and i i would like to believe that there is absolutely well thank you so much for your time thank Aaron. you thank really you thank you it. thank you i appreciate well, it congratulations again thank you Very well done, Mike. This I, I have to thank Erin again because this was one of the most uh, incredible interviews I've ever done. Her honesty and just sitting there one-on-one -on -one in a room alone 
on the couch and her her humor and her candidness and uh, her hospitality too. Yeah. What people don't hear on the interview, she was so kind, you know, hanging my coat in the cupboard in the closet and offering coffee and all this. Like it was just such a wonderful woman. I could see why so many people love her so much. Yeah. Um, oh, wow, I wish I was there. I wish I yeah. met her. Well, if she's doing, uh, I believe she's doing some book tours and stuff. So if you get a chance to get out there yeah. and, and meet her, she's a, an incredible woman. So, I mean, I'm so grateful that she wrote this book and, and I can't wait to read it. As I said before the interview started, I do have a lot of experience with mourning. I mean, <laughs> all you need to do is just go through it once and you feel like you oh I've had my fill yeah. and uh, so as I said my, my little brother passed uh, and he was young um, and um, so I saw my parents deal with it every day and uh, it, it was different I mean they both mourned very differently I mourned differently than my sisters and um, everyone has a different process. Matter of fact, Mike, you know I'm a filmmaker, I'm mm-hmm. a director. I've done two short films about the process of mourning. Oh, wow. About grieving. I didn't know that. One of them much more directly, the other one a little a, a little less so more subtly, but um, I was very interested in the process of how, how does one do this? Is there a proper mm-hmm. way? And I, I found books that were like the steps to mourning and things like that. But yeah. there really is. There's no such thing. It's it's yeah. not true. I mean, you can maybe use some of that stuff. And, and there's some great books that are written by some great psychologists, for instance. But really, at the end of the day, it, it's all just a guide. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can look at other people's experiences and, and find it interesting and maybe and maybe use it for yourself. But, you know, you can't help it walking down the street and you hear a song or you smell a scent comes across across you that reminds you of a, of a memory that you haven't thought of in, in years and years. Yeah. And you just break down in tears. I've had that happen to me <laughs> just walking down the street, something reminding me of my brother, of a memory I haven't thought of in a very long time. And uh, I just would break just tears all of a sudden gushing. I would find myself... Um, I'm prepared for it. So you don't know and you need to just embrace it. And I'm the type of person who does love to laugh. And I really appreciated Aaron talking about that because I found laughter to be the most important medicine for myself. Now, she also talks about how people judged her for maybe coming back too soon or seeming too happy. Would never have even occurred to me in my wildest Mm -hmm. dreams. And I don't know if that's just because of the way I am or, or, you know, just me personally, like a personal thing, or if it's because I haven't experienced the sort of loss that she has. And so, and, and that you have, and your, your family has so that perhaps I, you know, I can't relate on that level, but it really astounded me that she got angry responses from listeners for supposedly quote unquote healing too fast and coming back to the radio so fast and being on live radio and making jokes and, and all this sort of stuff. It's uh it's, yeah, that was something I'd never expected to hear. So yeah, I loved asking her about that because she's, you know, she is very forgiving and, you know, she doesn't sit there and blame anybody for it. She, but to your point, that's her thing, that everybody is completely different. She sums it up also beautifully toward the end of that interview, Mike, um, where she says, you don't know what, what's going on in people's yeah. lives. You have no idea. And when she talked about how her husband views people in traffic cutting you off, I yeah. was like, wow, he's right. You know, you don't know what what's happening in people's lives. People will look at me and they don't know what hap- mm-hmm. what pain I've gone through, um, and um, and and likewise me of of them. I mean, it has made me this process 
um, has really made me a much more empathetic person. I don't think I was a monster ever to begin with, but <laughs> boy, did I understand yeah. that do, I do not know what's no. going on in someone else's None life. None of us do, oh, and that's no. the point. Sometimes it takes stuff like this for us to really remember that. I know, but it's not even that, Mike. It's like a lesson that you think you know, but know, you don't I really know. know it. We like to all think we're empathetic people. Yeah. But then when you actually stop and think about it, yeah, I do yell at people in traffic or I get annoyed yeah. when on the streetcar or whatever it is. And you're absolutely right. And she's right. You don't know what's going on in their lives and, and what's happening. Well, Mike, um, that was uh, that was really good. Cathartic for me. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sorry I missed you, Aaron. Uh, maybe next time you come around, um, I can say hi. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I just want to again read this book. Yeah. I, I want to stress again that th- this is a book about, as it says on the cover, love, loss and reclaiming joy. This mm-hmm. is it, it. That is the key here. Reclaiming joy. And to reclaim it, you sometimes have to explore how you dealt with losing it. And uh, it, it's such a great. I would argue you always have to explore that. Of course. In order to. Reclaim Absolutely. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, the book is called Morning Has Broken, and I highly recommend it uh, for anyone who's dealt with loss or with grief. For anyone in general, because it would help you, it will help you yeah, interact it, with people absolutely. who are mourning absolutely. and dealing with grief. And, and I got news for you, pretty much, like it's everybody. Yeah, everybody, <laughs> everybody is. And uh, we need more candid honesty that uh, of the type that Aaron brings to really, so we can all just be honest with ourselves and, and be open about our feelings and mm. And uh, and go towards that reclaiming joy that she discusses. Okay. Well, that was great. I guess uh, goodbye, Mike. <laughs> no plugs we, today. No, you know. Oh man, it feels so cheap to do plugs, but I guess we got it because uh, if you guys listen to us, and we can bring you more great interviews like this Aaron Davis interview. So you can find us on um, let's see, everythingzoomer.com, obviously, um, and you can listen to our podcast there, Ages and Icons. Can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Google Play. I don't know wherever you listen to podcasts. Type in Ages and Icons, and uh, please subscribe to us because uh, we'd love it, and we'll still bring you more. And leave a comment. Make us feel nice about ourselves. Yeah, leave comments like on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I- iTunes for for sure, hundred percent. Please, please leave comments and rate us and review us on iTunes because that's how other people will see us. Just again, want to say thank you to Aaron for. Uh, <laughs> For, for sitting down and taking the time. It was one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. So thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, thank you to Gina, of course, as always, and to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time on Ages and Icons. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.